So yesterday afternoon, I had to go out to my car to take care of some things that was in the driveway, and I came back into the garage, and I, I noticed that the light portion of my automatic garage door opener had fallen when I opened the garage door. And so I stood there for a minute, looked at it, and I thought to myself, I should probably go over to the other side of the garage and get that ladder and uh, fix that. By the way, you know it was 139 degrees yesterday in my garage. And so I thought to myself, I think that could wait till November if it needs to, but I'm not gonna go get that ladder right now. But that caused me to think about a ladder and tied with what I'm preaching today. So here's a question for you. What do you call a ladder that has no steps on it? In the first service, somebody said, broken, which is almost my answer. My answer to the question, what do you call a ladder that has no steps on it? I call it useless. Now, that being said, what I want to do is I, I want to kind of slip into uh, a brief discussion of what we're about to do here in the month of August. So, uh, in meeting with staff and in keeping with our emphasis from our vision task force and the objectives that we've pushed out, that was in 2019, pre-COVID stuff, but we're still working through those objectives. And one of the primary emphases of that set of objectives is that we become very intentional in creating a culture of discipleship here at First Baptist Church. In other words, what we want to do is as a matter of our everyday functioning, we want to be handing out tools to people in our church who come to our church, whether they join or not. We want to hand out tools to every individual who's part of the life of this church that help them walk with Jesus and help them be transformed into his likeness. That's really what discipleship is. And so we're trying to do that in a number of different ways. It's uh, always exciting for me to watch as people begin to slip into a point of reference where they start seeing what Jesus brings to their everyday life, not just like on a Sunday thing or not just a cultural kind of Christianity. And so we see that, that God is changing lives all the time in, in the middle of what we're doing as a church and beyond. But as it comes to the intentionality of that, sometimes it's hard for us to figure out, okay, so where do I start? Well, if, if I want to do that, what, what are the things I need to do to be, have these tools to walk with Jesus? And so for the month of August, what we're going to do is begin, uh, or we're going to take the month of August as an emphasis on giving you some tools that will help you take some steps in your Christian life. So... Um, we have a, a, I think there's another one on there, Joshua. You have one that has the promo part of that. He'll, he's going to try to put it up there, but think of a ladder, if you will. That's it right there. So I contacted, I was out of town the first part of the week, and I contacted Sylvia, who is our visual arts uh, coordinator and all things artsy. She's incredible with that. And so I sent her the information for the sermon, which is what you saw up there just a minute ago. But uh, this is a description, if you will, a visual description of what we're talking about. So we're going to be over a period of time now. We'll take the month of August, but we'll do this and we'll repeat it several times with a different emphasis. The steps part is now a kind of a strategic point of reference that we will do as a staff that will help from time to time push tools into your life, okay? So we're going to take the Beatitudes for the month 
of August, and we'll do two today and two every week until we get to the end, and I'll explain what the Beatitude is for that particular day or days. We'll have some scripture references for you to do, and our staff members are putting together a video devotion guide for a couple of days, all right? So matter of fact, by the time you get to the end of the evening, you should already get an email from the church. It's scheduled. I just don't know what time it's scheduled to go out. But Elvin took the first one based on the t- one of the two Beatitudes we're covering today. Jeremy's going to put another one out later this week. It's done. We just don't have it. Uh, it's not time to push it out yet. So we'll push out one for every two or three days, and it also will have another uh, passage of Scripture that you can use. So whether it's you personally or you as a family unit, for those of you who have children, where we want it to be something, we tried to pick some other uh, parallel text biblically that will help you tie it in with them with a story. But we're going to emphasize the Beatitudes. Now, the reason I say it that way is we'll do another steps emphasis some other time later in the church year that starts in September. And we may do for that one, we may do the Ten Commandments. Uh, we may do the fruit of the Spirit. But from time to time, we're going to step in and do a month-long emphasis These are some things, some tools that you can use very practically in what you do. And in the meantime, I'll preach the key parts of those on Sunday, and the staff will take over in pushing some stuff out. If you don't understand any of that, if if you got lost in the verbiage there, then go to our website, click on discipleship, and you can understand it from what it says there. We want to be practical in giving you tools for your Christian life development. And we're calling it steps because in this case, some members of the ancient church, some of the forefathers of us spiritually, the ancient church, took the Beatitudes and began to dissect them and recognized that there seems to be a progression in the Beatitudes. So in other words, the first step, which is the one that's on the foundation, is the one that we're going to look at first this morning. Uh, but the next one builds off of that one. I'll show you that when we get there in just a few moments. And then each one as we go through the rest of this month will build on the others. It's not that you hit that step and you never have to come back to it. It's that you have to be able to say, I am in this step and that opens the door for me to be in this step, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'll explain that a little bit more. That sounded like a five-minute long announcement. And I'm sorry for that. But I wanted you to really understand not just what I'm saying today, but why we're saying it and why we're doing this. We want to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. So take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Thank you, Joshua. You can go back to that other slide now if you would. Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll be here in just a moment. But what I want you to get from this is that this is a foundational kind of entry that Jesus makes for us in our Christian life. It's a long way from being called a Christian life in Matthew's gospel. This is still at the very beginning. But Jesus on this Sermon on the Mount that will follow, chapters 5, 6, and 7, begins with his introduction that captures the whole thing. I told you before, I believe that the entire Sermon on the Mount is the best picture of what a Christian who is living with Jesus looks like. All of those parts of the Sermon on the Mount come together to say, this is what it means to live a life that is, honored, is honoring to Jesus Christ. And so the Beatitudes, as an introduction, helps us with that. So I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 5. I could go on because these Beatitudes go all the way through, chapter, uh, through verse either 11 or 12, depending on how you read it. And with that, 
We'll get to those over the course of this month. Today we get the first two. Here's what we read. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It seems wrong to stop reading there because we're so used to taking on all of them at once. But we need to stop, and as one of my mentors used to say, we need to stop and we need to roll around in the verses that we have here. We need to kind of let them get all over us so that it really helps us. Let me take everything that I said before and make it in this one statement. Our mission statement, if you will, the, the thing that we push out to help us all remember what we're about here at First Baptist Church El Paso is... We are connecting people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. Here's something that goes with that. If we, if I, let me put it on me, if I am not connected to the love and the life of Jesus Christ, I will never be able to connect somebody else to that. And so discipleship, if you will, to make another kind of adjusted statement for that. Discipleship is simply the, port, the that way that we go about our Christian lives where we connect better, increasingly connect to the love and the life of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus as we talked about last week. So we pick up this first one. Let me give you a little quick, uh, I'm not going to unpack all there is to unpack about these things. We could be here forever with that. But let me just highlight a couple of things. Every one of these Beatitudes, I believe there are eight of them, and uh, we'll see that as we work through it. The last one's a little bit tricky, but we'll talk about that at the end of August. But every one of these have some things in common. The first thing is that they all begin with one word. What's that word? Blessed. Now, everybody got that. Well done. But if I were to ask you, what does that mean? We would get a lot of different answers. I know that because scholars continue to give a lot of different answers about what that word means. It's a uniquely New Testament word. It it's, comes from the Greek language, and it has roots in the Old Testament, but this particular word is one of those that's used here, as used first here, and then we find it in outside Greek readings later, some of the literature and all. But it seems like this is a new word, and in that what we find is, is that this word has a number of different possibilities, but I'm going to give you the one that I believe it really is. In, in essence, Jesus in saying, blessed are these people, he is saying, this person is to be congratulated. In other words, the poor in spirit are to be uh, congratulated. So, so we have the word blessed. That's what it means, I believe. And then we have a condition that's stated next. The condition is of the person. So to be congratulated is the person who is poor in spirit. The next one, to be congratulated is the person who is mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. The next one after that, congratulated is the person who is meek. After that, oh, this is, this is, let's get to the very last one just, uh, just real quickly. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Let me say that again. Congratulations to the one who is suffering for his faith. Now, that's where we start going, oh, that doesn't sound like a to be congratulated kind of condition. As we put them all together, we see that Jesus definitively 
and intentionally moves us through some of this progression of what the Christian life is to look like. Those conditions is where we're going to focus our comments. So we start with, blessed are the poor in spirit. How do you build a life? Toward what goal do you work in your life? We could go to management seminars. We could go to entrepreneurial kind of seminars, and they would say, here's what you should do. I'm not sure that ever we, we really pause long enough to go, what am I really trying to create here? I had a meeting with a guy one time in another town. It was in Texas, but in another town, close where, it was, was where my parents lived for a while. And I heard a guy say, yeah, I just bought a million-dollar ranch. And uh, I was impressed. And his comment to me was, I don't really care if I ever pay it off or not. And I thought, okay, so what, what are you shooting for then? What, what, what is it that pushes you into every day? Let me talk to you parents for a little bit, or grandparents, okay? Um, what, are you, what are you raising your kids to? I, I, I thoroughly enjoy you. Know, I, I, the only, the only uh, social media I do anymore is uh, Instagram. That's because I get to see y'all. Everybody just made me mad when I was on Facebook. I didn't get to see them, but I just got mad at everything they said, so I just thought I need to lighten up here. So, so I enjoy getting to watch our young families in our church as they post pictures of their kids and active. I mean, kids, uh, what, are you, what are you shooting for with your kids? For those of us who are grandparents, what, what do we want our grandkids to turn up to be? How, how do we pattern what we do with them today that takes them somewhere? Let's take it off of them and let's just say to all of us, what are you shooting for? So let me take it back for a minute. I want to answer that from where Teresa and I came from, but I have to go back to where my parents were in that to help you understand that. So when I was 18 years old, I was only like two weeks into my 18th year or after my 18th birthday after I graduated from high school or when I graduated from high school. So I was a young 18 when I graduated, but I'd been kind of doing my own thing. I'd been working for a number of years already, and uh, I'd had about enough of living in a preacher's home if you're a preacher's kid, you get that. <laughs> and uh, so I began to kind of make up my mind. I'm moving out. First chance I get, I'm 18 now, so the law says I can go to jail. That means surely I can go and do my own thing. So uh, I, I, was, I, I just decided I was going to do that. And I started kind of figuring out, how am I going to tell my parents this? Because I knew they were going to be devastated that I was leaving home. I'll let that settle in for some of you. And I, so I remember getting off work one day, and I had kind of made plans. I thought I had a place to stay, and uh, so I thought, today's the day. Well, I got home. Mom and Dad were sitting on the front porch. This is Odessa, Texas, and it's in May, early June, so sitting on the front porch. I figured something must have been wrong inside the house for them to be outside, but uh, it was a perfect opportunity, so I went in and you know, put up my stuff from work, and I came back out, and I tried to find a way into the conversation, and finally I just said, um, I just need you to know that, that I'm going to move out. I'm going to move out on my own. And I, I fully expected my mother was just going to collapse. And she, she said something to the effect of, praise the Lord. 
And I thought, really, Mom? Really? And my dad didn't say anything. He just kind of sat back in his chair with a smile on his face. I thought that they were going to be devastated, but they were happy about that. One of the reasons they were happy about that is because they had trained up my brother and me to be able to leave home. And so Teresa and I, I pick up from there and go with what Teresa and I, uh, all along, I mean, early on, we had discussions. What, what do we want from our kids? How do, how do we want to train our children here so that when they get older, they're doing something right? And so we had two different kind of things. One of them is we wanted to train them to be independent and good contributors to the good of our society. We wanted them to be good citizens. But even more importantly than that, we wanted to train our kids up so that they knew the Lord, walked with the Lord, served the Lord, and made an impact for his kingdom here on this earth. Those are the two things that we raised our kids with. And we could not wait for them to leave home. Not because we didn't want them around, but because we did not train them to need us all the time. Does that make sense? Okay, so does, does that make sense? Hello? Okay. The reason I need to make sure we get that is because one of the things that happened, we did, I think we did things the right way. Okay? When we dropped our daughter off at college in Huntsville, Texas, I was devastated. So you know, Lauren and I had this great father-daughter relationship, and we dropped her off and started driving back home, and my heart was like, oh, this is horrible. And then like 20 miles later, it was like, woo, she's gone. We can do what we want to do. Here's the deal. When we train our children to be independent, if we're not careful, we train them not to need God. We don't do that intentionally. But the society in which we live, the American culture as we know it, has this point of reference, I think, that says, I will be my own person. I, I want to have my own say. I will, if I fall, I will pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I will make a way. Those are things that we celebrate, I think, in American culture, at least historically we have. But if we're not careful, in the name of some good stuff, we set up ourselves and our children for some real struggles spiritually. Jesus says to be congratulated is the one who's poor in spirit. That phrase, if we unpack it, brings us down to this basic summary statement. Let me use a term out of the financial world. Blessed are those who are bankrupt in the spiritual realm. Blessed are you to be congratulated or you when you recognize that you bring nothing to the table when it comes to your salvation. Ah, now we're getting there. We, we know from what we find in other places in the New Testament that no one comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation unless the Spirit draws him. 
You know what that means, in other words? We don't even have the spiritual sense to know we need Jesus unless Jesus does his work and draws us to himself. But if we're not careful, this can-do attitude that many of us have and even instill into our kids, if we're not careful, we set ourselves up for a basic point of reference that says, I just got to do this myself. Can I just tell you in all the love that I can muster? And my, my desire is that you grab a hold of this as soon as you possibly can. There is nothing you can do to earn God's favor. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough money. You can't do enough good deeds. You cannot earn your way out of the sin problem that you're born with. Poor in spirit begins with, I need help. That's the first step. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says here, the condition is poor in spirit, but the promise attached to that is the kingdom of heaven. So the thing that you have no hope of getting to on your own is given to you when you embrace your total lack of ability to get there. So let me just pause for a moment and say, if you're here and you've never reached a point in your life where you recognize that all that you do is never going to be enough to earn God's favor, if you are aware of your own sin, but you are working somehow to overcome that, maybe you're one of those people that thinks, you know, when I die, that's like this, this cosmic uh, balance thing. So if I, if I have just one more good deed as opposed to what I've done wrong, then somehow God will smile on me and let me into heaven. That's, you know, there's a good theological word for that. That's baloney. It's only by Jesus Christ that you come into the kingdom of God. That's what this verse is saying in no uncertain terms. I'll go back to an old hymn lyric that's actually I think was a poem even before that, just a little segment of it. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. Poor in spirit. The second one, there's much more that could be said about that, but let's move to the second one. And that condition is mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How do you know if you're making progress in this journey that is built in poverty of spirit? How do you know when you're beginning to make progress up these steps into what it means to walk with Jesus and to see him in a daily way. How do you measure that? I would suggest that this beatitude tells us that we can measure how well we're doing with the first one by how much heartbreak we live with because of it. The beatitudes are misused by so many people, and I think they misuse it with good intent, but there's more to this than just what meets the eye. In other words, God does not say, he is not saying here, <laughs> to be congratulated is the person who goes around crying all the time. That, that's not at all what he's talking about. 
This is a heart condition that he's referring to. And so he's saying in no uncertain terms, when you understand just how little you bring to the table in your relationship with God or even for a relationship with God, when you really get a handle on that, it will break your heart every time you violate his love for you. Okay, so now he got real personal there. So let me ask it to you in a little less threatening kind of way. When you know that you have sinned in something, Let's say, I don't know, I'm looking over this. There's probably not more than four or five axe murderers in here today, so let me use that one. If you take an axe to somebody and chop them up, how long would it take you to feel bad about that? And the right answer is, well, who were the four or five people first? So I, I don't want to take the obvious, big, the big ones, you know. Let's take the little ones. When you have some kind of issue with your neighbor, now not in El Paso, because everybody's fantastic in El Paso. I, I, you know, I don't really like drama. But, man, we got some people in our neighborhood who do some drama. And, and, you know, if you're not careful, you kind of start enjoying the show Okay, now, I told you a little bit more about myself than I wish I had already. But, you know, that's not something we normally would think of as being out of God's way of thinking. So when you harbor stuff in your mind about somebody else, or maybe you say something about somebody else, how long does it take you to feel bad about that? Please understand, I'm not trying to heap guilt or anything like that here. I'm just trying to throw a big wide net so that I make sure all of us are caught in it so that we can recognize that there's a place for all of us in these verses. So the idea of this morning, it's, it is a heartbreak kind of condition. And so the idea is that when, when I violate the call to righteousness that Jesus gives me. Let me say that a different way. When I live in a way or think in a way or talk in a way that Jesus would never do, that needs to break my heart about me. So how do you view sin? But there's more than just that application here. The other part of this is, not, not only should our own sinful condition continue to be something that drives us back to the first beatitude, okay, you see this cycle here? So I, I come to God and say, I can't do this on my own. I need you to help me walk with you to be what you want me to be. And he gives me that, and then I turn right around in sin. And so all of a sudden, I'm heartbroken over that, and i got to go back to number one, Okay. You're going to find this as we work our way through these different steps of the Beatitudes. We, all, we always have to get back to number one. And if we don't have number one in place, you'll never get to number two or beyond. So it's not only that about myself. Let, let me stop for a second. I need to make sure I say this. You know, there are those in the Christian world today who would take what I just said, and they would take a whip, and they would beat themselves over the back with that whip just because of their sinful condition. Okay? If you think that's a good idea, don't. 
There's no, there's no cause for us to, let me, let me just say it a better way. Just go back to number one, okay? Let the failure take you back to the grace of God that saves you in the first place. And then don't do it again. <laughs> but there's the problem, right? Because we will do it again. We know that we will do it again. And so we just keep going back. We, we get aware enough that we see our, our failures there with him, and so it takes us back to number one. Breaks our heart, moves us back to number one. Here's the other part of this that we have to see. Not only will we see that about ourselves and respond accordingly, when we look outside ourselves into this world that we call ours, the sinful condition of our day should break our hearts. Can I just say that for any church that has to browbeat people to be involved in the ministry arms of that church, that they have to go and just beg people to serve, maybe all they really ought to do is just pray that God would break a bunch of hearts. Because this condition, that mourning condition, we will never be willing to stay there. We have to respond to that. And so if it's our own sin that does that, we go back and we confess. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a good place for an amen. But you missed it. So if you do that, then it takes you back. But what do we do about out there? I, 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 in the first service, I made this comment. I had several comments afterwards. If you can watch the news for one hour. I don't care if it's national news, I don't even care which channel you're watching. If you can watch the national news or you can watch local news for one hour and your heart not break, something's wrong. Because this world is sprinting away from a loving God and his son Jesus Christ. And that should break us. That's this word. So as you go into this week, my encouragement to you is you take the devotional thing that Elvin has put together. It's a great piece. I love it. Take the passage of scriptures with it. By the way, if you want more than just one passage, you can go to our website, and I've given one for every day of the week that fits that particular uh, condition or that particular beatitude. So work your way through some of these texts and see how these are themes throughout scripture. These are not just a one-off that Jesus says, oh, let me see. What sounds good today? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It is all through Scripture, and it's got to be personalized. Wednesday, Jeremy's going to put one out. It may go out Thursday. I don't remember exactly, but it, it's coming to you, so watch for it. It'll be on, the, on our website or on our app. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. There's another passage of Scripture. Sit down with your kids. Tell the stories and say, what is God teaching us with this? Ask the question of yourself. What do I do with this passage? I trust that a ladder with steps, takes us somewhere. God bless you. Let's pray. And so as we come to pray, go into a time of invitation, let me just say to you, if you're here and you've never experienced brokenness over your own sin, you've never reached a point of going, I don't have anything to offer here, let me commend to you Jesus Christ who said, come unto me, all who are weary 
and I will give you rest. What will you do with Jesus? Spiritually bankrupt says, I go to the only place, the only person who can help me. That's Jesus. So we commend him to you, and this invitation time is for you. If you want to take that step, you don't even know what that means, really. Maybe you just want to talk about it. This is a good time. So I'll be down front here. You can come down. We can talk about it. If you're in a hurry, we'll set a time to talk about it later. But don't leave without Jesus. His love and his life are being offered to you from heaven itself. Maybe, maybe I've said enough in here today. You've seen enough in Scripture here to know that maybe some of us need to be broken a little bit more about our own sin, about the condition of our world. Maybe this is a good time for you to just kind of commit yourself to the Lord. I need to get back to that. Break me, please. That's a dangerous prayer, but it's healthy. And so, Father, now we ask you to take this time, change lives, draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. Savior, I give myself.